Welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where we are passionate about sharing Jesus with Vancouver and beyond. We would love for you to be a part of one of our weekend services. And of course, you can find details on location and service times on our website at citybaptist.church. Today's podcast is from our current teaching series, This Is Us, where we are discovering our core identity and God's intention for every person in the local church. All right, well, thanks for being here today. And uh, we're gonna continue our series this morning, This Is Us. And uh, I'm excited about, uh, this is our fourth message in it. We have one more to complete the series next week. But let's take our Bibles, let's go to the book of Acts, chapter number 20 today. The book of Acts, chapter number 20. And uh, I, I just wanna start this morning um, by just saying, I love Vancouver. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Man, I love Vancouver. I love our city. You know, listen, we get to live where other people vacation. Think about that. I mean, we get to, and yes, we have issues. Yes, I get it. Yes, there's problems in our city, but man, I love our city. And, and I've always kind of been a little bit of a Vancouver history buff. Anybody the same way? Okay, again, I am the only one. So, all right, we'll just, I'm going to stop asking that question. Uh, that's, just, that's it. No more of that question. But I, I love Vancouver history. I think it probably goes back to my parents. And my parents have always had, even, even as a young child, they always had historical books on Vancouver. Uh, I remember uh, years and years ago, they got a whole set of books on uh, what our neighborhood used to be like. And we lived in the Joyce uh, neighborhood there. And they had these books. They had all these photos. And I love to look at pictures of, of Vancouver in the past. I love to talk to people who've grown up in Vancouver. I love to talk to people who've grown up even in this neighborhood and just as they talk about the changes. Did you guys know that we used to have a, uh, uh, like a car racetrack in our neighborhood? just over that direction, not that far away. And I was in the guitar shop one day and they were talking about how they used to be as kids, go down there and watch these car races. And I was like, where? They're like, oh, like, you know, where that hospice, or over there by the hospice part over there. I was like, I couldn't believe it. It's always interesting to me to find out the different things. And uh, Carol grew up in the neighborhood and she's told me so many different things about the area and things that she remembers. But I came across a website a few years ago and I really, I really think it's kind of cool. And it's, it's called Vancouver Then and Now. Has anyone ever been there before? Uh, that website, I really like it. And I've got a couple things. This one is show you. Uh, so this is Vancouver, the skyline of Vancouver, 1937 from the North Shore. And, uh, and so they'll show you this picture and on the website you can kind of scroll over it and then see what it's like today. Now most of you know what it's like today, right? You know, look, look at the difference there. I mean, that's what it was in 1937. At that point, I don't believe there was a bridge over to North Vancouver. It was kind of like cottage country over here and or over there and, and all of that. But that's what the skyline used to look like and then this is how it is today. Um, this picture was taken in 1893 of Yaletown. So this is Yaletown. <laughs> It looks a little different today, wouldn't you say? Look at that. There's that same point. And uh, I, I mean, to me, I just, I look at these and I'm just like, what would it, I mean, look, there's grass. First of all, there's like grass and there's some sort of like, uh, 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 Vancouver used to have a problem with like shanty towns all over the place. And, uh, and that was Yaletown and then this is it today. Uh, I found this photo. Um, looking back over here, you can see is Granville Island right there where it says BC Equipment. And there apparently was a train bridge uh, there before. Uh, looks like a couple of them. And then, of course, uh, this is it today. And, uh, I mean, it's just so interesting to see these, isn't it? This is great. Some of you are looking it up on your phone right now. I get it. Um, it's, uh, it's a great little website to go to. Uh, this right here is downtown Vancouver. Interesting, huh? 1903. What they're actually doing here in this photo is they're clearing ground for um, the courthouse, I believe, is what they're actually doing here. And uh, so this is a photo of the same area 
and you can't really see the same. You can't even, I mean, I think, if you, I think if you go back, you can see the mountains. Look at that. Can you imagine being downtown Vancouver and seeing the mountains that clearly? And, uh, and so this is how it is today. And I think I've got one more here. Uh, I, I cannot remember now. I think this is looking down. Well, you'll know in a second when I show you the next one. So 1916, um, this is in the downtown core of Vancouver. And then here it is today. So that's Georgia and Granville, right? Georgia and Granville, there's Pacific Center. And uh, to me, it's just so cool to see uh, see these photos and see what it used to be like. And, and uh, like I said, my parents have these books that uh, show uh, like our uh, Joyce Street and all these areas that where, I, where I used to live. And, and I love to research those things. But one of the things, obviously, I think that you're getting right now, that when we look at these, I'm just completely amazed at how much our city has changed over the years. Uh, how much, I think even the initial people who founded Vancouver never expected it to get to the place that it is today. You can tell that by our traffic uh, and by the way that they built the streets and all of that. Uh, I think some of these, in some of these old photos, I mean, wouldn't it be great to have a street that wide in Vancouver? Well, I mean, that'd be awesome. Um, but uh, you, it just, to me, the thing that just strikes me so much is, is how much it has changed. Like I said, I like talking to people who grew up in the neighborhood. And, and even, you got to think about it, even here in this neighborhood in particular, when we started the church four years ago, this neighborhood's changed tremendously. Remember the old Burger King in the parking lot that used to be right there, where we used to lease 10 parking spots every Sunday, and we had extra parking? Some of you don't even know, remember that. It was so wonderful until they said, we're tearing it down. Sorry, you lose all your parking. And, and, uh, and that building's going up. We are getting a Tim Hortons, which is, again, a blessing, and a Dairy Queen. And I don't know what else we're getting, but hopefully something that I'll like. And, uh, and so uh, I like Tim Hortons and Dairy Queen, but uh, I'm trying to stay away from them. But all of those things are coming in, and, and our neighborhood's changing. They're constantly tearing things down. I, I, everywhere I go, I see building applications and developments. And just the city changes so much. Uh, of course, besides just our city, uh, politicians change, uh, new policies are being enacted. It's been interesting to me uh, how just in just a few weeks for, since the election, how many things are already happening, how many things are changing and, 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 and stuff that's coming place here in our city. Of course, we know as politicians change, new uh, social constructs and mentalities and opinions seem to change within the hour. And, and to add on to that, we change, don't we? This week on a Thursday night, I had the opportunity to go and play at, uh, at my high school um, uh, alumni basketball game. And it's been, people were asking me, when did you graduate from high school? <laughs> did I graduate is the first question. <laughs> Second of all, uh, 2001. So it's a long time ago. And so the teams were, is anyone 25 and under who graduated versus anyone 25 and older? And I was obviously in the 25 and older. And uh, man, some of those guys I had not seen since high school and guess what? They changed. <laughs> Maybe not the way they talked and the things they talked about. I, f I felt strangely like I was back in high school sitting on the bench there. The things they were saying, I was like, wait a minute, are we 35 or not? You know, but anyway, uh, you know, and I know that I have changed and all of those kind of things. Yesterday, I ran into somebody at Costco uh, who I grew up with in my neighborhood down on Jasper Crescent, down by Marine and Victoria Drive, Lena Zordon. I ran into her at Costco yesterday. That means nothing to any of you. That's okay. Um, I mean, but she's got to be 40 now. You know, I'm, I mean, things changed, right? We changed. So much changes. And I know for some people, change can be kind of a scary thing. Sometimes change can be difficult. Sometimes it can become overwhelming. Now, for others, they get excited about change, right? They're like, yes, Tim Hortons, right? Or whatever's happening. We get excited about it. But others, it's, it's kind of a fearful thing. It creates uncertainty for us. I know certainly politically and, and some of the way that I see our society going, I am concerned about the, uh, the society my kids are going to uh, inherit, the generation that they're going to be in, and, and the things that they are going to face. And I, I am concerned about those, yet 
the thing is, is that in the middle of all of the changes that we see everywhere around us, and, and today this is just a pic some pictures to illustrate, but you understand what I'm saying by, there's just changes everywhere. In the middle of a world that is constantly changing, in a world that is constantly uh, 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 just going in different directions today, especially with technology so rapidly, for true followers of Jesus Christ, while we may adapt to cultural changes and while we modify methods and things like that to reach our community, one of the Christ-like characteristics that a church is to maintain is that we would be people who will remain true to our core convictions. That even though all around us things are changing, even though all around us society is changing and people are going in all sorts of different directions, there needs to be a place, and as Christians we are to be the place, we are to be the people that hold on to something. That something is steady, that something is steadfast, and people who are willing to stand for Jesus Christ, even if popular opinion changes, and no matter what challenges may come our way, we're people who will be steadfast. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, verse number 58, he said, Therefore, my beloved brethren, say these next words with me, be ye what? Steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He says that we as Christians are to be steadfast. We're to be unmovable. We are to be always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, our, our uh, study has been, This Is Us has been talking about some defining qualities of our church family. And today, what I want to emphasize for us from the book of Acts, chapter number 20, if you're still getting there, is the very important quality of being unshakable in what God has called us to do. Now, some people would call it being steadfast. Some people would call it being faithful. Some people, I've heard the quote, it's a long obedience in the same direction. Some people would call it all sorts of different things. Today, the title of my message is, We Will Not Be Moved. We Will Not Be Moved. And you'll see that here in our passage. But we will not be moved. We will be a church that will stand for some things and will hold on to those things regardless of the changes that take place around us. Now, I'm not talking about, just don't misunderstand me, okay? I'm not talking about some like old school method, uh, you know, idea of like, we will never change anything because that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about methods. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, things like that. What I'm talking about is our, our beliefs, the things that we hold dear as a church, the things that, that we uh, uh, know and have defined as being important, uh, important and recognizing that in an ever-changing world, we serve an unchanging God, and his desire for us is that we would remain steadfast, not allow society and culture to influence the dedication of the local church. And so we're in Acts chapter 20 this morning, and I want to show that to you. Now, the Apostle Paul, just to give you a quick overview here, the Apostle Paul is in his third missionary journey, his final missionary journey. At this point, and you can see up here his third missionary journey, at this point he's almost done. He's in Miletus, which is up there uh, in this area called Caria. Uh, you see Patmos over there, the island of Patmos over there on the left, and then Miletus. He'd already kind of completed his whole circuit up over here to Athens and Corinth and then back up and around again. Uh, he took a really unique, uh, he, he was very specific in the way that he traveled back. He's on his way to Jerusalem, just so you understand. He's on his way back to Jerusalem. His final trip there, he wants to experience the Passover there, see his Christians, brothers and sisters, of course. Yeah, he knows that some difficulties are coming. We're going to talk about that. But he stops over in Miletus, and you notice there just north of Miletus is the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus and Paul, they always got, together, like, got along together pretty well, didn't they? I mean, he was always there. He loved the people in Ephesus. But on his trip back, which he knew would be his final missionary journey, he decided not to go to Ephesus. He decided specifically to go into Miletus, but while he did not go to Ephesus, he still wanted to see the, the leaders there, the pastors from that church. And so he called for those pastors to come down and meet him 
down in Miletus. Paul knew some challenges were coming. He, uh, he knew some things were going to be changing. He knew it was the last time that he would see them. And so he called this meeting of the pastors down in Miletus. I guess you could call it a spiritual retreat. I don't know, right? He called them to come down and visit him. And in his meeting with them, he made some very, uh, I, I believe, specific and poignant statements that I believe are powerful reminders for us as Christians today of God's desire for us to be faithful to the calling that we have been given. So I want to share with you, share with you three things that Paul uh, told these pastors, three commitments that Paul had made, and I believe they're important for us as well. And so point number one this morning, Paul, as he's speaking there to those pastors, he talked to them about his unshakable commitment to God and to his people. He talked to them about his unshakable, that's a very strong definition there, a strong uh, uh, descriptive word, his unshakable commitment to God and to his people. Look at verse number 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. And so he sent the word to them and he called the elders, that's the pastors of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, ye know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He says, you know uh, what I've been doing. Then in verse 19, he says, this is what it is. I've been serving the Lord with all humility of mine and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Paul here says to these guys, says, listen, I want you to know that I have an unshakable commitment to not only God, but I have an unshakable commitment to God's people as well. Now today, commitment means different things to different people, right? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that sometimes people might say to you like, oh, I'm so committed to my job or whatever, and then they quit the next week. <laughs> and you're like, what happened, you know? Uh, or, uh, man, I'm, or unfortunately, I'm so committed to this relationship. Man, I'm just, I'm so in love. I'm so committed. And, uh, oh, we had a rough day. Man, it's over. It's over. Game over, you know? What happened to commitment in our society today? It's really, I feel it's kind of left in some regard in a lot of ways, but for the Christian, commitment is still very, very important. It's something that we do. We commit to God on a regular basis, of course. But commitment today means different things, and we often struggle with them, of course. But the problem is, is that often the lack of commitment in our society, sort of the haphazard view of commitment, sometimes finds its way into a church family. Sometimes it even finds its way into the heart of pastors. Unfortunately, there are pastors today, and I've met pastors, who are in it for the paycheck, you know? They're in it for the, the, for the retirement or whatever it may be. They're just sort of mailing it in. There's that missing aspect of commitment in the church. And as Christians, we need to not allow the society's definition of commitment define our commitment. Because as Christians, we are people who hold to our word, aren't we? We're people who stick it out. We're people who, who are committed to what God has called us to do. And so we see here, the apostle Paul, he says to them, he says, I am committed to serving the Lord. But notice how he mentions here that he's committed to serving the Lord from a heart of humility. You notice that? Now, right away, we immediately say, well, to say you're humble, you know, like, you know, what is your, what is your, you know, what is your finest quality? Well, I'm very humble. <laughs> okay, this is the apostle Paul here, okay? Let's cut him a little bit of slack, right? He, he's speaking to pastors. He's speaking to people who know him and love him. He's able to be, don't you like it, people you really know very well, you can be really honest with them about, about things. And that's what he's doing. He says, listen, you guys know, listen, you, you re realize this is not from a heart of, of serving myself. This is all about everything that I have uh, done for the Lord, everything that has taken place. And here's the cool thing about the Apostle Paul. He never took credit for anything that, that happened. Never took credit. He always pointed people back to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And he says here, he says, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm committed uh, to serving him with humility and not making it about me, making it all about God. But then we also see here how he was committed to his fellow believers. You say, how do we know that? Look there at the verse. In verse number uh, 19, he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mine. And then he says this, and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. Later on in verse number 31, he talked about how he warned uh, the people, how he warned people, um, uh, uh, cease not, he says, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. Later on in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul talked about his heart for people. He says, we, will, we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth their children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls. And then he says this, because you were dear to us. Now we've studied Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians. We know Paul's heart for people. And that's what he's saying. He says, listen, I am committed to the people uh, of these churches. I am committed to the flock of God. I am committed to making a difference in other people's lives. Listen, if you're ever gonna make a difference in one another, if you're gonna make a difference in people out in the world, you've gotta be committed to them. You gotta be committed to them. We cannot be people as a church who are just, uh, you know, just not really paying attention or not really committed to following up and not committed to loving one another as Christ has called us to love. We've got to be committed to God and to each other. So I got to ask you, how is your commitment today to the Lord and how is your commitment to each other? How, How easy is it for you to toss aside relationships? How easy is it for you to just sort of put things aside and just say, ah, you know, it's not that big of a deal? Listen, we need to be like Paul who are committed, so much committed to each other, in fact, that it caused emotion to come into his life. That he, was, he was, had tears. He said uh, they were dear to them. They were, it talks about that closeness of a relationship. You know, for us as a church, that's something that we should see right here at City Baptist, where we are actually at the point of a relationship and so committed to one another that we would actually shed tears over one another. Now think about that. Now we're so guarded today, right? Like I only cry for my family. I don't know. I only, or, or, or sad movies, right? You know, sad movies, I'll cry for that. But listen, to me what it tells us, and, and you say, oh, I don't understand this completely. I, I, I totally get that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is that he's trying to illustrate to these men that, listen, I, I've poured my life and I've poured my soul into people. I care so much about those that I've ministered to I care so much about those that, that I have built a Christ relationship with because of our, our shared values in Jesus Christ, that it burdens me. It, it's difficult for me. I've, I spent time in prayer and in tears for them. To me, it's so important for us as a church family that we be defined as a church that loves each other in that way, that cares for one another in that way. That way. I know we've talked about unity and all of those kind of things, but listen, do you truly pray for one another? Not just like, dear God, bless Bob, right? (laughs) Or dear God, bless whoever. Lord, bless the church family. Amen. Like praying for one another. We know each other. We know what we struggle with. We know difficulties. You know, often one of the things that has helped me uh, more than anything else in my Christian life is that when, uh, when I have an issue, let's say, or there's a difficulty, is I pray for that person specifically. And that's a great thing for us to do. Man, if we know someone is struggling with something, uh, pray for them. So many times I've been convicted, you know, I'll tell people, hey, I'll pray for you this week, right? Or I'll pray for you. And, and I've been so convicted, uh, not recently, but in previous years, is that sometimes I would say that and then I'd see them on Sunday and I'd be like, oh, hey, I told them I'd pray for them last week, right? And I didn't pray for them. And so I'm like, dear Lord, please bless them. Hey, I prayed for you this week. Amen. 
How are you doing? Did that work, my walking prayer over here? Did that work? No. <laughs> That's so fake, isn't it? It's so fake. We got to be people who care for one another in this way and have this unshakable commitment to each other. To me, having a commitment like this in this church saying, listen, I'm committed to this church, I'm committed to the Lord, and I'm committed to one another, I'm committed to this church family. To me, it makes for a wonderful place to serve the Lord. It's a wonderful place to reach people. It's a wonderful place to grow because there's that genuine care for one another. And we know that we can be ourselves then, right? We can be who we are. We can be who God created us to be, warts and all, right? And we can be, and we can be sometimes not so desirable, but at least we know that we have a place of acceptance here at City Baptist because we know that the church family loves us and we genuinely care for one another. Paul uh, here shows us an unshakable commitment to God and to his people, but he also shows us an unbreakable commitment. Now, this is another good definer here, an unbreakable commitment to God's word. These are some key things that we as a church can be defined by, and it's our prayer for us at City Baptist. This is what it is. He says here, an unbreakable commitment to God's word. Notice in verse number 20, verse number 21, he says, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he says here, I kept back nothing from you. Now, this is a really interesting phrase here in scripture. Now, remember, this is Dr. Luke who's writing this book. So Dr. Luke, I mean, he had some intelligence to him. You're not going to be a doctor and not be intelligent. Uh, if you ever went to your doctor and he seemed un unintelligent, you would find a new doctor, would you, right? I would. And uh, anyway, so uh, he's an intelligent guy, and he used a lot of interesting language in his description of the Apostle Paul's journey. But the, the, the term here, kept back nothing from you, means, and it's so weird. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you see things and it's hard to relate to it. What it means is, is to um, withhold uh, withhold food uh, in, a, in, a, in a hospital situation. Isn't that strange? <laughs> it's, so he's, he's referencing that when you're, when, you're, uh, when you're ministering to a patient that you would withhold something from them. And I don't know what the reason is right now, just to be honest. I don't really know why this term, but this is what it means. The idea is that you would re withhold I guess, nourishment or whatever it may be. Isn't that strange? No? Okay, all right. <laughs> it's to me. I'm like, I don't understand the reference here. But I do understand it in the context of what Paul is talking about. He's saying here, I never held anything back from you, meaning I never, I never at one time did not give you the whole counsel of God. I never at one time withheld certain things that God spoke to him about in order to suit his own desires or to point things in a certain direction is what he's saying. He's saying, I always gave them, uh, I always laid out for them a full table. <laughs> I always gave them everything that they needed. In verse 27 down there, it says, For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul never hesitated because those that he was speaking to might not like what he was about to say. He never hesitated. He simply told them what God told him to say. And he was a wise preacher because he knew that all uh, the, the people he was speaking to needed a balanced diet of spiritual food to grow healthy in their walk with God. Now, I've got to be honest with you. Sometimes as preachers, I, I certainly can relate to this passage because sometimes as preachers, the temptation is to only say things that make people like you. You know, they, they say when they talk about pastors, uh, pastors are the only people who their job every week is to make everyone in a room uncomfortable. How would you like that job? Wouldn't that be great? Yeah, some of you would enjoy that maybe. I don't know. Uh, I've always, I've, people have always said that, man, I'd love to get up there and preach. I was like, okay, you're on next week. <laughs> you know, come on up here. Because it's, it's, there's, there's, a, 
there's a, uh, 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 a, a holy nervousness, we'll just call it that, every week. Because I realize that the Lord gives us things, the Lord gives me things in the message that I realize are not always going to be like, yay, right? They're not always going to be happy, happy times. Last week was one of those messages, right? And pastors want to be liked, and we want to present certain things, and if we say certain things or don't say certain things, you know, you, you kind of work through that in your head. But the thing is that once you get down that road, uh, it's not a great place to go, and it's also disobedience to the call and the command of God. 2 Timothy 4, verse number 1, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. He said this, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, season reprove, uh, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and darkness, uh, and dar- not darkness, doctrine, sorry. Verse number three, it says, uh, for the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine. The time will come, the time has come, where they will not endure it. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. See, in this day of growing complexity, oftentimes the church and honestly pastors and those uh, uh, blessed with teaching and preaching the word of God uh, can try to be too sophisticated and too complicated and too cultured, if you want to call it that, to try to fit into the culture of the day. But the thing is this, as Christians, you should never be a part of a place and you should never want to be a part of the place where you are not challenged and not, not pushed to grow in your walk with God. That should always be the desire of us as a church going forward that we would never allow the message to get lost in, in all of the other things that are going on, on around us, but that we would be steadfast to the word of God, uh, that we would uh, want to hear teaching and preaching of the word of God that honors him but also challenges us. That commitment to me, that commitment goes to sound doctrine. It, it moves to being willing to hear the convicting and the inspiring. And it goes here in the local church, and that's important here at the local church, but it's also important with the outside, exor- outside sources that we listen to as well. This idea of, of, of uh, uh, being willing to hear difficult things, being willing to hear the whole counsel of God. You know, so much of church today and so much of preaching today is like a buffet, right? Now, I used to go to Uncle Willie's when I was a kid over there on uh, Kingsway by Metrotown, and I used to love Uncle Willie's Sunday, and I always remember uh, after we'd go there and we'd eat, and I'd have to undo the buttons on my vest or whatever, and as a child, I just loved it, and the first thing I wanted to do when I got to Uncle Willie's is I, I, I rolled past the salad bar. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, I don't even forget it, right? Where I went right for the fried chicken because at Uncle Willie's, they had a huge, I could just put like five pieces of fried chicken, you know, everything I like, mashed potatoes, right? And I'd get after it, but I never ate as much as I could because I knew dessert was there. And I'd go, I mean, and if I could, I would have gone right to the dessert. Now, sometimes it's like that in churches. Sometimes, per, and by the way, it's a personal thing. We say, well, man, I really like this style or I like this you know, I really want to talk, I hear about this or whatever it may be. And so we try to tailor our spiritual intake to our own personal desires. But notice the verse that we read, it says it's by their own lusts. It is a desire that you have personally and you're like, well, I want to have this thing. And so we have to remember that, yes, while you can sit and be like, hey, pastor, you need to preach the whole counsel of God, your external sources that you're listening to and watching uh, online and all those things, you have to be aware of that as well. Am I getting the whole counsel of God? You know, do I find my external things? I'm, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there is a wealth of preaching online today. Did you notice that? There's a wealth. I mean, even our sermons are online, you know? I mean, they're everywhere. 
You can, you can find whatever style, whatever aspect, whatever passage, whatever doctrinal leaning, whatever. I mean, you can just tailor it and find somebody on YouTube to preach that to you. You know, that's their focus. But as Christians, we have to step back for a minute and say, no, we need to be committed to a well-rounded view of the word of God. And we need to be willing to listen and, and hear things that maybe aren't going to tickle our ears. I love that phrase, tickle our ears. I think today we really find ourselves in that. We have to be aware of that. Now, now uh, um, this is not a, a point so that I can just say whatever I want, just so you know, okay? This isn't about me today, all right? This is about the word of God and that we need to be willing to just preach the word of God. And, and as a church, you should desire that. Say, hey, we want to hear the whole counsel. We want to know, we want to hear every aspect of it. Don't, uh, 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 and, you know, we're not going to just focus on certain things. We're going we're gonna to try to have a wide, varied, uh, varied view in the way that we approach life and approach the word of God at the same time making the word of God the key. See, Paul used every opportunity he had to preach the word of God. Now, Paul, I mean, he had such an amazing opportunity, obviously, at the spread of the church, and God used him in a great way. But his focus was always just to preach the word of God, to give the whole counsel, and then to make it all about the gospel as well. You notice that there in the verse, he talked about that. And uh, teaching and preaching uh, repentance and people to place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, he, and he, it's something that we've got to be committed to, to the word of God. When all else is moving away from it, we've got to come back as a church and be, listen, we're all about the word of God. We're all about hearing the whole counsel and being fed spiritually, not, not withholding anything, but just laying it all out there and understanding the word of God. That happens here at church and it happens in your personal devotions as well. Sometimes, you know, man, it's fun to read the Psalms, isn't it? Because man, Peter, or uh, Peter, Paul, uh, not even any of those, David, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> you know, David, I mean, I mean, it's fun to read the Psalms sometimes because we're like, man, David, that guy had issues and it makes our issues make, you know, and like every day we just kind of go back to it. You know, you got to read it. That's why I encourage you to read the whole Bible in a year if you can. Get the whole thing in. There's tons of Bible reading uh, plans and out there, out there that I use to help me get through the whole Bible in a year. Things like that help us have that well-rounded focus. And so Paul, he talked about his unbreakable commitment to God's word. But then number three this morning, he also talked about his unflinching, you like that one, I like it, unflinching commitment in the face of opposition. His unflinching commitment in the face of opposition. We'll look at verse number 22. He says, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. And here's a key phrase here, not knowing the things that shall befall me. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. He says, I don't know what I'm going to face when I get there. I don't know the struggles that I'm going to have. He had an idea. But then in verse 23, he said, Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. And then verse number 24, and here's where I got the title for today's message. He says, but none of these things move me. Say it with me. But none of these things move me. Oh, you can do better. But none of these things move me. Paul says, I don't know what I'm about to face. I have an idea. I'm not sure what's ahead for me. I don't know the challenges that will be there in Jerusalem. I know the Jews hate me. <laughs> he knew that. He knew that much. He knew uh, what was told him in Acts chapter number 9 and verse number 16, uh, where he said, uh, when um, Ananias said to him in Damascus, he said, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. He knew that there was difficulty ahead. But if you look back there at the verse, he said, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. He's speaking to those pastors, those close friends of his. 
He says, I, I, nothing, nothing that I might face is going to move me. He says, my life is not dear to me at all. I've died to self. I've already left that all behind. He said, I'm going to go forward. I'm going to finish my course with joy. I'm going to finish the ministry to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. Even though he did not know what would be ahead, even though he knew there were challenges ahead of him, he still said, nothing's going to move me. I'm just going to continue on. I'm going to continue on for the Lord. I'm going to have an unflinching commitment in the face of opposition. In the face of opposition. This week, uh, I heard the story of a uh, missionary by the name of John uh, Chow is his name who was killed just last week uh, it, by some uh, villagers in a re very remote place um, off the coast of India. And uh, a single guy from Vancouver, Washington, actually, and uh, someone who had been really traveled, he's a very experienced traveler, been all around the world, but he had a burden in his heart to befriend and to bring the gospel to this uh, group of people that up until this point, no one had ever reached to. And... Uh, and, and, and it did ultimately cost him his life. He visited three times, uh, and on the third time, uh, the first time he went, uh, it was fine. The second time he went, they broke his canoe. He had to swim uh, for safety. And then the third time he went, um, he did not come back. But before he went, um, uh, before he went that third time, he wrote a, a letter um, to his family and to others, uh, part of his diary. It's a 13-page letter. And I just want to read you a few uh, quotes from that, the final things that he wrote before his death. But he said this. He said, I hope that this isn't one of my last notes. He said, but if it is, to God be the glory. He also said, please do not be angry at them or at God if I get killed. He said, rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to, and I will see you again. In the final part of his letter, he wrote this. He said, if I die, he said, don't retrieve my body. And then he underlined this part. He said, this is not a pointless thing. He said, the eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. This is someone who was martyred for his faith just a few days ago. I believe it was on the 16th or the 18th of November. And I thought of him as I thought of this passage, but none of these things move me. He says, I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know what I may be facing he said, but it's not going to move me from doing what God wants me to do. He said, I'm bound in the spirit. It's a leading from God. It is a desire from the Lord for me to go back to Jerusalem no matter what I face. Ultimately, it would end in his death. It would ultimately end in him being uh, sent away and, and um, all of the difficulties that he faced. But he would not allow that knowledge to move him from serving the Lord. I got to ask you today, what in your life right now are you allowing to discourage you what part of your life right now are you allowing to keep you from serving the Lord or to keep you from walking with the Lord? You know, so many times we have things in our life that we face and challenges and, and uh, insecurities and financial problems and relational issues and, and hurt feelings and all of these things that we face in life. And we allow those things to move us from our walk with God. We allow those things to move us from maybe being in a place of service to the Lord. We allow those things to rob us of our true joy, to, to steal from us the, the joy of the Lord that is to be our strength, and yet we allow this to, to, to pull us away from that. Listen, we all have things that we go through, don't we? We all have challenges. Some of you are facing things coming up, maybe even this week, that you're not looking forward to, things that you're concerned about. Maybe you're in a difficulty uh, within your marriage or in another relationship or, or a family member or whatever it may be. 
but you've allowed that thing to pull you away, to move you from where you need to be with the Lord. What we can learn from the Apostle Paul is that even though he knew beatings were coming and stonings were coming and all of these challenges, he says, listen, it's not going to move me. I'm going to continue on with what God's called me to do. I'm going to continue on serving him. Unflinching, he said, I will continue for the Lord. I'm so discouraged often in my own life, okay? I'm discouraged so often in my own life how I, how I allow external challenges and external difficulties and things of this world to bump me off course from the spiritual life that I should be having. So discouraged by that. Because you know, you know why I'm discouraged by it? Because it happens. <laughs> More than I would like to admit, it happens. Where difficulties and frustrations and challenges and hurts and all of these things that we face and all it takes sometimes is a little nudge, right? A little nudge. Now, I, I'm not a great, a great builder of things, but I have built enough things to make enough mistakes building things to know how important it is that you stay true. Because <laughs> even the slightest, I mean, when we were doing uh, some of the renos downstairs, I was in charge of some framing. Thankfully, I had people who checked my work. <laughs> Otherwise, all of our walls would be like this, <laughs> you know, because I'd started out and I thought I was in the right, but just a little nudge. And, and by the end of it, it's like, whoa, this isn't even going to match up. There's a lot of extra mud downstairs in some of the reno places where we put a lot of extra mud to fill in some gaps that were my fault. <laughs> Not my fault. What we can learn from that is that in the Christian life, it's so easy for us just to get knocked off course just a little bit. Maybe it's, maybe it's not even noticeable. Or maybe it just, it just doesn't even seem like a big deal. You ever, you ever said that in your Christian life? Like, eh, it's not that big. I deserve this. I'm okay with a little bitterness. <laughs> I'm good with just a little, just a little bit. It's all right. I've earned this or whatever. And then you end up in a place you never thought you'd be. And it, all it takes is just that little nudge, that little, that little bump, that little discouragement. That, that Listen, by the way, you're going to go through those things, right? Paul knew that. He knew that challenges were going to come. You know there's going to be struggles with uh, bitterness and unforgiveness and, and there's going to be financial issues. and we know, we know this. We're human. We know this. The problem is, is when we allow that to affect our spiritual focus as well. And as Christians, we can learn from Paul who said, none of those things are going to move me. I've, my life is not dear. I've already left it behind. I'm not going to let the challenges or the opposition that's facing me, I'm not going to let it move me. I'm going to remain true to who God called me. Now, the great thing is in the Christian life, when we remain true to our calling spiritually, God comes alongside of us and we receive everything we need through our completeness in him. And, and so many times when I found myself kind of bumped off course a little bit spiritually and I finally, through my reading, I get back in and I'm in place and I'm where I need to be and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm good because I'm trusting the Lord, right? I'm not just trusting myself. And we've got to get back on course. To me, this is a heart that's so desperately needed in our world today. Christians who will stand unflinching in the face of opposition. We live in North America. We're super blessed. You know, none of you are going to walk outside today in fear for your life, for being a Christian. Not, not a single one of you. Maybe from the bus drivers who pull up so fast up there. Now, <laughs> if you're not careful. Uh, sorry, that's an inside joke. Last Wednesday, someone was hit out front. Sorry. I'm not sure if it was a bus or not. But anyway. Um, <laughs> but, you, but, but none of us fear for our lives from a, from a spiritual standpoint, just being a Christian. We recognize that. But, but it's so easy for us. Okay, let, let's, sometimes I think, sometimes I think, this is just from my heart here. Sometimes I think that as Christians, we would almost 
we look at the idea of, of being a martyr for Christ, like this missionary we showed here, and, and we think, yeah, I could do that. Like, yeah, I could, I could, you know, if someone put a gun to my head and said, you know, renounce Christ or it's over, we're like, yeah, I'd say, I'd say, you know, I, I'd say, yeah, no, I'm a believer. You ever felt like that? Okay, it's okay to be on. I mean, no, I, I, I thought that to myself. Like, if that happened, if it came to my life or Jesus, they can take my life. But then I go through a financial difficulty and it's like, what in the world are you doing, God? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to read my Bible, <laughs> you know. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to say? Sometimes for these big things that we will more than likely never face in life, we're like, I'd stand for Jesus no matter what. And then we, we lose our job. Someone says something unkind to us. We're treated in the wrong way and it's like, man, our, our spiritual life is out the door. Do you see the hypocrisy in that? Man, it's hard. It's hard. I get it. And that's why we're talking about it today. <laughs> that level of commitment, that unflinching commitment, even in opposition. And, and rather than allowing so many things just to bump us off, just to get back to where we need to be and focus in the right direction, say, hey, I'm not going to let these things move me. Yes, they're going to be there. Yes, it's going to feel like I'm getting punched on all sides, but I'm going to stay straight and true following the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to allow my walk with him to make the difference in my life. You know, as Paul spoke to those pastors, I think he probably got a little bit excited, don't you think? Paul, I think, spoke with passion. I think he spoke a lot with passion. And I'm sure as he articulated these guys, uh, the things that the Lord had, had done in his life and as it sort of built up to him saying to them, this is the last time we're gonna be together. To me, what he really shows us is his just simple commitment to the things of God. His commitment to God and his people, his commitment to the word of God and his commitment no matter what he may face ahead. For, for us today, the big thing is this. Let's just be a church of commitment. Let's be a church that is unwavering, a church that will not allow the changing society around us to distract us, a church that will refuse to allow uh, maybe the watering down of the gospel and, and, and limitations in other areas of faith or people who claim faith, not allow that to distract us, but help us just to stay straight and true in what God has called us to do, to hold to some things that the Lord has revealed to us through his word. And then personally, being a people of commitment who would not allow the distractions of life to get us off course spiritually, but just to remain focused, remain true to what God has called us to do. We hope today's message was a help to your relationship with God. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will continue to do a unique work as you pursue His will for your life.